Thank you. It's a powerful song written by David Wilcox. And many, many years ago, it was written by dear, um, David Wilcox, and I knew the song, but the first time I sang it was right after 9-11. It seems so poignant, and I recorded it shortly after that. And then over the years, so many more things keep happening where it's like, yeah, here's that song again. It's relevant. It's relevant because we look around and we see what is projected on a movie screen. And then we get all upset and try to change the screen. And there's nothing we can do to change the screen. We have to change the film. We have to go back to source because what is within will appear without. And so from within, we love, we love, we love, and again we love. And as Jesus said, we forgive seven times seven, 70 times seven. And why do we forgive 70 times seven? Because we are no different from anyone else in this world. Can I read you something else? So there's a chapter in Khalil Gibran on good and evil. There is also a chapter on crime and punishment. Oftentimes I have heard you speak of one who commits a wrong as though he were not one of you but a stranger unto you, an intruder upon your world. But I say that even as the holy and the righteous cannot rise above the highest, which is in each of you, so the wicked and the weak cannot fall lower than the lowest that is in you also. Goes on to say, the wrongdoer cannot do wrong without the hidden will of you all. Like a procession, you walk together toward your God self. You are the way and the wayfarers. And when one of you falls down, he falls for those behind him. A caution against the stumbling stone. I and he falls for those ahead of him, who, though faster and surer of foot, yet didn't remove the stumbling stone for the people behind and this also, though the word lie heavy upon your hearts, the murdered is not unaccountable for his own murder, and the robbed is not blameless in being robbed. The righteous is not innocent of the deeds of the wicked, and the white-handed is not clean in the doings of the felon. Yea, the guilty is oftentimes the victim of the injured. And still more often, the condemned is the burden bearer for the guiltless and unblamed. You cannot separate the just from the unjust and the good from the wicked, for they stand together before the face of the sun, even as the black thread and the white thread are woven together. And when the black thread breaks, the weaver shall look into the whole cloth and shall examine the loom also. So what I'm talking about today is not easy. That anybody get a stomach ache when I said that the murdered is not guiltless of his murder? That doesn't mean you deserve to get murdered. You went out there and you did something. It means that as a human race, as long as we hold the consciousness that murder is something possible, there will continue to be murder. 
as long as we hold the consciousness. And Khalil Gibran goes on to say in this that if you're going to judge someone for stealing, um, what do you do for someone who is physically not a thief but is spiritually a thief? How do you judge that? How do you judge someone who doesn't actually pull a gun and kill anybody, but that spreads hatred? How do you judge someone who seems to be just doing just fine in their lives, but inside carries fear and spreads gossip and allows their insides to be eaten up by the imagination of what could be going on? This is not to say we're all bad and wrong. It's to say we are all one. That is a really hard concept. That is a really hard concept. But to say that your brother is different from you is a lie. And as long as you believe that lie, you are feeding into your brother never belonging. And people who don't have a place to belong will do anything to belong, anything, which is why if they get online and someone says, here's the reason you're so unhappy, it's those people. And if you do something about those people, then you'll be happy. Because as I read at the beginning, that we, the thirsty will drink from any well, even a dead lake. And so what is the answer to all this that we see out in the world? The answer is that we all accept a measure of guilt. Not guilt as in, I'm making you feel guilty so you'll feel bad, but a measure of responsibility. And I've talked to you before about the process of Ho'oponopono. This is what kept coming up to me. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, in the South Seas Islands, um, in Hawaii and, and other islands in the South Seas, it was very common for when someone was ill in the house or anything was wrong, but even a physical illness, that the shaman would be called in. And the assumption, the assumption was that no one would be sick or nothing would be going wrong if everybody had only love in their hearts, if everything was forgiven. And so the first thing that had to happen is complete forgiveness. And so here's these four phrases. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And in a lot of New Thought churches, they don't like to say the I'm sorry part. I'm not sorry. I think that I am in sorrow, in sorrow because of what's happened, because of what is happening, because of what continues to happen. So when I say I love you, I'm saying you belong to me. I cannot other you if you belong to me. I love you. I'm sorry, I have such sorrow that things are playing out as they are. I accept responsibility for part of that. I contribute to this global consciousness that allows this to go on. I'm sorry, please forgive me. That's about humility. That's about saying, I don't even know the ways that I think that contribute to this, but I ask forgiveness anyway.
and thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for being my brother, for being my sister, for being in my life, for being part of the one, for being on this journey with me. So this is very, very difficult because, um, and I think Khalil Gibran explains it pretty well. It's, it's kind of cool. What he says is, a judge in the city said, speak to us of crime and punishment. And he answered saying, it is when your spirit goes wandering upon the wind that you, alone and unguarded, commit a wrong unto others and therefore unto yourself. You cannot commit a wrong to others without committing a wrong to yourself. And guess what? If you commit a wrong to yourself, you're going to end up committing wrongs to others. And for that wrong committed must you knock and wait a while unheeded at the gate of the blessed. Not that you don't deserve blessing, but your own actions can block you from the blessings that are constantly pouring from God. Like the ocean is your God self, it remains forever undefiled. And like the ether, it lifts but the winged. Even like the sun is your God self, it knows not the ways of the mole, nor seeks it the holes of the serpent. But your God self dwells not alone in your being. Much in you is still man, is still human. And much of you is not yet human, but a shapeless pygmy that walks asleep in the mist, searching for its own awakening. And it's of the man in you I would now speak, for it is he and not your God self, nor the pygmy in the mist that knows crime and the punishment of crime. In God, there is no crime. When we are all walking around in our highest selves, when we are all walking around connected to that source, to that one love, that one power, that one presence, there is no crime. There is none. And so when we see crime, it is evidence that we're not all there. And I happen to believe that's what this earth is for. We were created. We are spirit. That is the truth of us. But we are created human. We were created in this form to work out stuff in this form. So it's not the pygmy. It's not, the, it's not even the, that part of you that isn't even human yet. The human wants to make things just, wants to balance the scales. But the human is only ever looking at perception. The human is only ever looking at what's on the screen and trying to change that, and it doesn't work very much. It doesn't work at all. It has to be changed from source. If any one of you would be, bring judgment to the unfaithful wife, let him also weigh the heart of her husband in scales and measure his soul with measurements. And let him who would lash the offender look unto the spirit of the offended. And if any of you would punish in the name of righteousness and lay the axe unto the evil tree, let him see to its roots. And verily he will find the roots of the good and the bad, the fruitful and the fruitless, all entwined together in the silent heart of the earth. And you judges who would be just, what judgment pronounce you upon him 
who though honest in the flesh is yet a thief in spirit. What penalty upon him who slays in the flesh, yet himself is slain in the spirit. I tell you, I believe in my heart that no one commits violence except from a place of deep, deep wounding, which they may not recognize. So let me go on for a moment. How shall you punish those whose remorse is already greater than their misdeeds? Have you ever, like, like there's nothing you could do to me that would make me feel worse than how I already feel? <laughs> and do we think that's only us? Yet you cannot lay remorse upon the innocent, nor lift it from the heart of the guilty. Unbidden it shall call you in the night, that men may wake and gaze upon themselves. Only then shall you know that the erect and the fallen are but one man, standing in the twilight between the night of his pygmy self and the day of his God self, and that the cornerstone of the temple is not higher than the lowest stone of its foundation. We all have the very lowest within us. We all have that potential at all times. And we all have the very highest within us, the highest potential at all times. And most of us live somewhere in the middle. And we're okay with that until our boat gets rocked. And then our first, often, our first reaction to things not happening the way we want is somebody to blame. Somebody to blame. Because once we blame it, then we can just shut that drawer. That's not about me. That's about them. I can go on in my comfortable life again. Because what we dread most is being uncomfortable. We may say it's death or it's pain or it's sickness or it's poverty, but really it's being uncomfortable. We don't want to be uncomfortable. When you're dead, you're not uncomfortable. When you fear poverty, you are extremely uncomfortable, whether you're poor or not. When you fear pain, you are extremely uncomfortable, whether you're in pain or not in pain. So what Gibran is getting to with this, which I'm, I, I think you understand, is that we cannot, you know, it's exactly what Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. That doesn't mean if you go around judging others, they'll judge you. It means the judgment by which you judge others is the judgment by which yourself is judged. Not other people are doing it to you. You set the groundwork. You decided. You decided it was them and not us. And guess what happens when you're them? Have any of you ever felt that you were a them and not an us? An outsider? Not quite belonging to a group? And how painful is that? And how thirsty would you have to get to start drinking out of a hot, stagnant well? 
Some of us can stand thirst better. Some of us have greater skills. And I love this idea of even the limping will get there. Even the limping will get there. But don't deem it a kindness if you are sure-footed to limp. And I think that's what we as human beings do. We go, well, this is the culture. This is how we do it. There is crime, there is punishment. This is punishable by this. This person is wrong, this person is right. And that's what we do. And so we limp together in that paradigm because changing paradigms is extremely uncomfortable. Ask your spirit in quiet time with just you and God, with just you as Gibran says, gazing upon yourself. That's what it takes. You have to look. We don't want to look. It's easier to look and say, oh, it's them. Okay, Whew, I'm good. It's harder to look and say, what do, what do I contribute? In what ways am I not fulfilling my highest potential? In what ways am I limping when I should walk? Or am I walking when I should run? In what ways am I getting by? without actually giving something of myself? In what ways am I a thief of goodwill or consciousness or good reputation even when we gossip? Even if I never steal a dime in my life? This is not, again, to make you feel guilty. It is to give you the ultimate freedom of accepting responsibility for life. I am responsible. And in that way, you know, new thought is like, you created your life. I'm like, the simplification of it sounds like a tsunami happened. Well, you just, you dream that. that that's all BS. That doesn't, that's, that, there's no truth in that. But all of us together create a consciousness which allows things to happen that we don't want to happen. All of us together. And God lets us. Why would God do this? God doesn't do. God allows. God loves and only loves, but gave us permission to do whatever we wanted to. <laughs> it's like, here's love. Here's total, unconditional love. But you go do what feels good to you. And we do, and we sell ourselves so short. We sell ourselves so short because every time we send out a judgment, you know, the thing of you point the finger, you got three pointing back at you. <laughs> it's really true. So, so I don't know if it's possible in human form to completely release judgment. But what I do know is that it is possible to, by carefulness, by care, by meditation, by prayer, by mindfulness, by being where we are, present to what's happening around us, instead of projecting way off into the future, it is possible to become aware of the times that we are judging. And to say, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. That's a nice shorthand. There are other ways to say it, but that's a really beautiful shorthand. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. 
I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. You know, I use Bob as an example all the time. He's not here. That's even easier to use him. He is um, with a, going to a women's march with his daughter and granddaughter today. So um, Bob tracking mud on the floor, which is something I use a lot as just an example. It's, he's like Pigpen. He can walk in, I swear, to a room completely naked and somehow leave a trail behind him when he leaves the room. I don't know what that's about. I don't know what that's about. But do you understand that that's only a problem because I decided that the way the floor should be is clean at all times? I set that up. I understand that. And I joke with him. And I use him as an example because my humanist comes up and goes, ah, I just vacuumed. But what I know is, if it bothers me, I can vacuum again. <laughs> I, did, I created this idea. Our society created this idea that this is what, I mean, we used to have dirt floors. Wasn't a problem. <laughs> we created the idea that we needed something between the earth and us. Is that a better idea? I don't know. I like air conditioning. I like a sealed house, but is it a better idea? I don't know that it is. Look what it's doing to the world. So I decided this. I created this. It doesn't mean I can change the whole paradigm. It means I can change a paradigm within me. I can accept responsibility. I set this up. I want a clean floor. If I really need it clean, I could clean it again. And if I don't really need it clean, then I can shut up. Those small awarenesses, and then they translate. You're watching the news one day, and you think, oh, those people, that person. And if we know there is nothing in that person that is lower than the lowest that is in us, and there is nothing in that person, there is nothing in us that is higher than the highest in that person, this idea that we are all going together, together, together. And that's why I believe Jesus said when the Pharisees were trying to trick him into going against Jewish law in some way, he said, listen, two things you got to do. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, recognize that there is a power that is greater than you. And that that power will allow love to flow through you to everybody. Who is my neighbor? If they live on the planet, they're your neighbor. We may discover some neighbors that don't live on the planet. But for right now, we got enough to deal with here, I think. So, good and evil are constructs that we made up. The opposite of, I love that he said the opposite of good is not evil. The opposite of good is laziness, <laughs> loitering and sluggishness. I'm loitering because it feels pretty comfortable to just stay right here. Even if I have to, you know, like a badger, reach out and bite somebody every now and then, it's pretty comfortable staying right here. Sluggard, it takes work and energy and it's not easy to shine a light into your own heart and see everything that's there. But remember that when you do, there is nothing there that is worse than anyone else. 
and that you contain the very highest that is possible within you. And you are a beautiful and beloved, unconditionally loved mixture of all of that. And we're all walking together toward a higher place. So we help each other along. Or we run ahead and we show the way to someone else. Or we stay behind and remove the stones so the people after us don't stumble in the ways that we have. Or we stumble and we go, oh, there's a stone. I should look out for stones. And there's room for all of it. There's room for all of it. One is not badder. badder. <laughs> one is not worse than the other. One may be swifter and one slower. And so we allow the swift to be the swift and the slow to be the slow, and we understand that that's what it is, and we do our best to help everyone along. That's all there is. Thank you. <laughs>